Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Spreading the Word. I'm your host, Paul Pisanti. Today, we conclude our four-part series on Jesus as both fully God and fully man with the investigation into the bread of life discourse. Right after the episode on multiplying the loaves and the fish for the 5,000, we look at what happens next in the Gospel of John, and that is where the crowd follows him to Capernaum and starts asking him a bunch of questions like, how do we know you're who you say you are? What do we need to do to do the works of God? You know, God gave us and our forefathers bread from heaven. Uh, What does that mean about you? They're comparing him to Moses still. And Jesus has some pretty pointed remarks and some very difficult teachings that end up turning many of these Israelites away. And we'll look at how we as Christians today can have the same sort of incorrect mindset when we're seeking guidance from God. Well, without any further ado, let's jump right into it. Good morning, everyone. Good. How are you? Um, so uh, last week, for those who weren't here, we were in John chapter six, and I uh, I wanted to continue in John chapter six, um, but some of the things we discussed last week are relevant to what we're looking into today. So I'll do a little bit of a recap. Uh, We read through the first part of John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, and uh, we see that um, Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fish here. It's a a pretty memorable story for most of us, Um, uh, but what we did is we drew some parallels out of there with uh, a passage in Numbers 11 where uh, God, through Moses, provided quail to the Israelites when they were grumbling about this manna from heaven that... uh, this boring old manna, this boring old bread from heaven that God was sustaining the Israelites with. Um, and in both passages, we see God acting as king of the people of Israel and providing everything they need in this physical world. Uh, as we move into this latter portion of John chapter 6, though, we're going to see that the true intention behind God providing for our physical needs uh, has deeper and more meaningful spiritual realities for us. Not only does God provide for us physically, but he is fulfilling every spiritual hunger that we have. So we're going to be reading through John chapter 6, verses 25 to 70. It's a long passage, uh, but I want to go through that, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into our analysis of it. So starting in chapter 25 of John chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered them, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. 
So they ask him, What miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given them bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread, of the, the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came, from, came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourself, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has an everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert. Yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you will see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe, and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. 
In the first part of John chapter 6, last week, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000, we see that Jesus tests Philip, tests him with his faith, tests him on how Jesus is going to feed these 5,000. We saw in Numbers chapter 11 that God was testing his people with their faith. Here in this passage, Jesus is testing the crowd that is gathered around him. He is, he is teaching this crowd in the same way that God taught his people in the wilderness. Remember that this passage that we're reading now is coming on the heels of, uh, in John chapter 5, Jesus declaring that Moses was writing about him. This is again a parallel to the fact that the, the prophets were prophesying about Jesus. This is a reminder to the crowd that Jesus is fulfilling the messianic prophecies. And now we see that Jesus is testing the crowd by offering this hard teaching. They come calling him rabbi and teacher and, and seeking his advice, but ultimately they reject his teaching. I want us to think about our lives. I want us to think about the ways in which we're similar to the people in this crowd. Um, the, the analogy that came easiest to me was to think about my job. Think about how much of our time and effort on a daily basis is devoted to providing our own daily bread. How much time and effort do we devote to uh, going into work to earn an income to provide for our families? The amount of preoccupation we have in our lives with our physical needs is something that we share with the crowd here. The crowd here in verse 28 is asking Jesus, what shall we do? What works shall we do? to do what is God's will. They are focused on their physical needs, their physical reality, the physical world they're in, and much like them, those are our focuses. Where is our next meal coming from? How are we gonna pay this bill? How are we going to fix that roof leak, repair the gutters, clear the drains? How are we going to mow the lawn, repair the car, prepare for a meeting, fit in that business trip? You name it, our lives, are dominated by the physical realities we live in and that consumes so much time and energy from us. Maybe it's even the stuff we do for church. Maybe it's preparing that Sunday school lesson. Maybe it's preparing that, uh, that Thursday night class. Maybe it's all the work we do for Camp Oma. Maybe it's any number of things. These are, these are physical things. These are good things that we do, but they're, they're based on the physical needs that we perceive in our lives. The crowd is focused here on their physical needs. They had just come from a situation where Jesus had multiplied the loaves to feed 5,000. And all they can think about is their physical needs. They still view Jesus as a physical king in a physical kingdom. So when we focus on these physical works that we're doing, even if they're not bad ones, even if they're devoted to God, if we're focusing on that, how much are we doing on, on that side of things rather than focusing on the spiritual gift 
that is given to us freely. And that's Jesus's point here. He's not telling the, the crowd who are, are following him and want to be faithful and want to honor God. He's not telling them those things are wrong, but he's calling them out for not appreciating the spiritual gift that is right in front of them. When sin entered this world, the need for us to work for our physical needs, our daily bread, our, our pains in childbirth, our tilling of the field, that is a reality of this, this broken and fallen and sinful world. And this is something that we deal with, but that doesn't isolate us from the fact that we've been given an amazing spiritual gift. You see, the intention when God created the Garden of Eden is that God was going to provide every need that we ever had. And our sin is what is responsible for our preoccupations with this physical world. <coughs> Jesus is aware here that the crowd is clamoring for his instructions. They're, they're eagerly desiring his teachings to help them mature in their faith. And he's about to reveal to them that it has nothing to do with the works they can do in their life but it is simply to believe in the one that God sent. When they ask him, what works must we do to do what God requires? His response is simply, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the key to this entire passage, that the food being offered, this food that they had just received the day before, is of a temporal nature. It's of, it's of a, just a, a passing need that they have. It doesn't endure. It passes away. The, the nourishment that Jesus is trying to give them is one that will endure for eternity. As with the passage about the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes and the passage in Numbers 11, the focus of the people in this crowd remains on their physical needs. This is why when Christ gives them this teaching about him being the bread of life, they can't accept it. They can't accept the reality of what Jesus is saying because they're so laser focused on the physical nature of it. How do, how do we eat this man's flesh? Is he telling us to be a cannibal? Is he telling us to, to drink his blood? It, like Their focus is so physically oriented that the teaching he's offering is sheer nonsense to them. Think back to how the Gospel of John is framed. John chapter 1. The Word became flesh. It's a blending of the spiritual and the physical. The entire premise of John's Gospel, and one that carries through as a theme throughout, is that things aren't based purely in the physical. Our lives and our eternity are not just a physical existence. To take what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 6, as people have done throughout history, as a literal teaching that we must consume the physical flesh and the physical blood of Jesus in order to have eternal life, flies completely in the face of the entire premise of the Gospel of John. When the crowd demands more signs of Jesus' divinity, 
I used to think like, how can you be so stupid, crowd? How can you how can you be like that? He just multiplied the loaves. He just fed five thousand people. But they're actually thinking about what God did for their forefathers. And this was an interesting revelation to me. Jesus fed 5,000 people in one day. Not too shabby, but when God took care of his people, he was feeding an entire nation for 40 years in the wilderness. And this is where their mind is at. This is where their line of questioning is at. They're like, okay, that's great. You fed the 5,000. That's pretty cool. Um, but God demonstrated, and actually they're saying Moses fed the entire nation of Israel for 40 years. And as impressive as that 5,000 was, Jesus, Moses really took care of the nation. Jesus replies in 32 and 33, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. God sent Jesus as the bread from heaven. And God's will is pretty simple. In verses 35 to 40, his will is to save his children from sin and death, to provide nourishment that will sustain us spiritually and keep us alive in him. God's will is that none of us will be lost. All that's required of us in return for this is just to believe in him, to believe in Jesus, to believe that Jesus is the bread of life, that is this nourishing spiritual bread that will grant us eternal life. And when Jesus declares to the crowd that he is that bread of life, he's providing the answer to the test of faith that he was giving them when he multiplied the loaves and the fish. Jesus is the actual spiritual nourishment that sustains our lives. Verse 63, Jesus says that the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So at the risk of speaking in absolutes, which our society today hates and abhors, uh, and one that I tend to avoid, Meg and I had a conversation that resulted in me being unabsolute about whether or not I brought the chairs over or not. Um, but... At the risk of being so absolute, there is only one single and exclusive way into heaven. And that's coming to Christ in faith. Jesus' Jesus's own words in verses 44 to 51 are clear. It's a, his intentions are clear and to make absolutely sure that the only way to eternal life is by believing in Christ as the true food and drink offering that redeems us from our separation of God through sin. There's no exception. There's no separate path up the mountain. There's no work, no peaceful insight, no motivational poster, no mantra that can ever repair the brokenness of our relationship with God other than partaking of a sacrificial food and drink offering, of a sacrificial offering of Christ for the conciliation, for the repair, for the propitiation, for the repayment of our sins. The Greek word here that Jesus is using to describe his flesh is sarx. It is typically associated with a sinful nature. It is, it is the word that literally means flesh and body, but it also means our 
impulses, our sinful impulses. When we, when we read Sarks in the rest of the Bible, we're being taught about the negative impulses of human nature that lead us into sin. And though Jesus is using that here, he's talking about the sacrificial atoning for sins. The food and drink offering that the priest used to offer is based on a physical being being sacrificed as an atonement for sin. And although Sarks is commonly a negative association of sinful impulses in us, in one person throughout history, Sarks refers to a life lived in the flesh without sin. And that's why when Jesus uses that word, it has a special and more powerful meaning because this flesh that for once in history existed without sin is going to be sacrificed as a food and drink offering to God. Jesus' flesh is undefiled from sinful impulses that we typically associate with our own human nature. And so, because of that, only his sacrifice was acceptable to God in order to redeem us from our sins. So where does that leave us? Where does that, where does that strike home with us today? Think about why the crowd struggles so much with Jesus' teaching here. Think about that physical world that they're so fixated on that they don't see everything else that's happening in the spiritual. Their ears and their minds are so focused, so laser beam focused on what they can touch and see and hear and smell and taste that everything beyond that sounds like he's asking them to engage in this weird form of cannibalism. Our temporal and Physical fixations can be just as misleading as what the crowd had here, as what the nation of Israel struggled with as well. Our prayer life can be asking for things and results rather than an outpouring of grief and, and love and desire for spiritual growth. Our, our works that we do can be a means of proving our own righteousness to others uh, instead of an outpouring of compassion and love. Our worries on our temporary things, on where our next paycheck is coming from, on where our food is coming from, on how to accomplish this thing, uh, is, is focused on that instead of the sin and lostness of our fellow man, of our neighbors. Our assemblies can be a time of fulfilling a duty to just show up instead of trying to edify and encourage one another. Our ministries can be an act of trying to put bums in seats as opposed to faithfully sowing the gospel and allowing God to reap a harvest. Our tithing can be an act of tax efficiency and, and savings and not an act of giving painfully and relying on God to take care of the rest. I say these things because we can be just as physically laser beam focused, even in the context of our church, even in the context of, of how we live our lives, we can be so focused on that physical 
that we're not paying attention to the spiritual, rea spiritual realities that Christ came to fulfill. Jesus is teaching here. He is imploring the crowd to radically redefine how they think about their faith in God. And he's asking the same of us. Don't focus on our physical needs. Don't focus on our physical duties. Don't focus on our physical works. A lot of those things can be good. And a future study on James will, will talk about that. But focus on the spiritual realities that Christ came to nourish us and be our king and, and, and govern over everything we have and take care of every need we have and the temporary physical things that take up so much of our brain power and so much of our time are ultimately inconsequential when compared to the great gift that Christ came to offer us. I was compelled when studying this passage of John today to focus on the spiritual side of things. The challenge here is a profound one. We see that thousands of people deserted Jesus this day when he was giving these difficult teachings. And the temptation for us as Christians in a modern day world are very similar. We are forced to make a decision between what the societal worldview of pursuit of happiness and materialism and uh, tolerance for all and celebrating everyone's individuality and it's very counterintuitive to think that there is an exclusive way into heaven that there is a singular path to eternal life with God and Jesus makes it abundantly clear to the people who were struggling with a very similar pragmatic approach to focusing on the world that they know and the world they can touch. So the challenge as Christians is to focus on the spiritual aspects of our lives. Focus on what God is doing to us in our personal devotion, in our prayer life. That's what I want everyone who hears this message to focus on this week. Let's let's take time to personally devote ourselves to God and to spending time in prayer with him and be in touch with him and in, in unity with him. I thank you everyone for joining us today and I again would like to encourage you to share this with others. If this has been helpful to you at all, please share it with others that it can be helpful with them as well. And if you're in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, we'd love to connect with you and have you join us for worship on Sunday. Feel free to reach out. Our email address is uh, in the description and uh, wherever you find this, just feel free to reach out. We'd love to just connect with you. And if nothing else, then pray for you and support you in, in your walk. God bless everyone.